We meet today in Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to verse 8. And as we look into this section, we see Paul going to tell us about the mind of Christ. You see, Christians are exhorted, encouraged to have the mind of Christ. And in verse 5, the verb is a present imperative of a command, and it could actually be translated, have this mind, or mind this. You see, the characteristics of this mind have been given in verse 1 to verse 4, the section we looked at in our last study. Now, the tangible evidence that Christ possessed such a mind is given here in the section that begins from verse 5 all the way to verse 11, specifically verse 6, because verse 5 simply gives us that imperative, that command, have the mind which was in Christ. The essence of the mind of Christ is humility and sacrificial love for others. How different is the mind of Christ from the mind of Satan or even the mind of Adam? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2 verse 5. My friend, the mind of Christ, what is the thing that characterized it? The mind of Christ was characterized by humility. You may recall that in Ephesians chapter 4, we are told, Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Then it goes on to describe that calling. It says, With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 1 verse 1 to verse 2. You see, that is the description of the mind of Christ. You and I cannot be humble. We can't be gentle. We are not made that way. We are not wired that way. We have a tendency to be puffed. We have a tendency to be proud. We want to stand out on our own two feet and have our little say. All of us are like that, my friend. So don't say you are not because you really are. None of us wants to be offended. None of us wants to be ignored. We develop actually hang-ups if we are brought up in such a way that we have been trembled on. A man who is not born again is not even in the territory of being willing to take a humble place. That's human nature. Now, verses 6 to verse 11 actually comprise a section of the word of God or a passage that is known as kenomesis in Greek. And these verses are the text of one of the four great Christological passages in the New Testament, including John 1 verse 1 to verse 18, uh, Colossians 1 verse 15 to verse 23, Colossians 2 verse 9 and verse 10, and Hebrews 1 verse 1 to verse 4. These passages talk about Christ. Now, the passage we are looking at was probably an early church hymn which divides naturally into two stanzas. It talks first of all of Christ's humiliation, verse 6 to verse 7, and then Christ's exaltation in verse 9 to verse 11. 
In our study today, we are looking at Christ's humiliation. Here, Paul gives a strong assertion of the deity of Christ. The word kenomesis, meaning to empty, as used here, speaks of the self-emptying of the Son of God as he became man or as he became incarnate. And the New King James Version translates these words, made himself of no reputation, according to verse 7. You see, my friend, Christ existed in the form of God, as verse 6 would talk of, which signifies the nature of God, his character, the very essence of his deity. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. That statement is an expression which means he did not think it necessary to grasp at deity. Now, no ambition to become God could plague Christ since he was in fact God. He therefore did not give up his deity, but he did for a season surrender his heavenly glory. The Lord Jesus as the possessor of divine essence, takes the form of a bond servant. That means the nature or essence of a slave. He sets aside his divine glory, but not his divine nature, and he takes upon himself the true attributes of man. As Christ pre-existed in the form of God, he then took upon himself the likeness of man. His humanity is real, yet his being is still that of deity. His being is still that of God. The incarnation was not a subtraction of deity, but an addition of humanity. Christ sets aside the outward expression of his deity when expressing himself as a bond servant. You see, the purpose for this obedience and emptying is stated with clarity. Jesus humbled himself to become obedient unto the death on the cross. Once again, the preeminence of the atonement and the consequent salvation is emphasized by the scriptures, particularly John 1 verse 1. Now, in contrast to many of us today, we seek upward mobility. Jesus was, in a sense, downwardly mobile, moving from a position of ultimate power to utter powerlessness. In making this transition, he sets the best possible example of servant leadership, which Matthew 20, verse 25 to 28, talks about even John 13, verse 2 to verse 17, where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. We find here seven steps downward. Then we have listed for us seven steps upward, which is the section that we will deal with in our next study. That is the exaltation of Christ. Today we are looking at the humiliation of Christ and in that humiliation we see the mind of Christ. But in the exaltation of Christ we see the mind of God. It is in the mind of God the Father to exalt his son Jesus Christ. If you want to know what you can do that will put you in the will of God, 
I don't know where you are to go or what you are to do, but I can tell you this. Since it is the purpose of God the Father to exalt his son Jesus Christ, I believe that it is the will of God for every one of us to do the same. We are to exalt Jesus Christ wherever we are and whatever we do. We are to be one with God the Father in this ultimate purpose of the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says when he is exalted, he will draw many people to himself. So the first step downward was when he left heaven's glory. He came down and down and down to this earth all the way to where you and I are. You and I cannot even conceive of the big step that it was for him from heaven's glory all the way down to this planet earth. Absolutely, it is beyond human comprehension to understand what our Lord Jesus really did for us. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Philippians 2 verse 6. You see, my friend, when Christ was at the right hand of God the Father, he wasn't hanging on to his position. No, there was no danger of losing his place in the Godhead because of any lack on his part or because of the ability and the ambition of a contender. There was no contender. He hadn't gone to school to learn to become God. No, he had not advanced from another position. He was God. The position belonged to him. He is God. Nor did he leave heaven reluctantly. At no time did he say, Oh, I just had to leave heaven. I don't want to go down on this trip. You see, when Christ came to this earth for you and me, he came joyfully. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 tells us, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He said, Lord, I came to do your will, O God. Hebrews 10 verse 7. He came to this earth with joy. He was not releasing something that he wanted to hold on to when he came to be born over 2,000 years ago. He came happily. Now we see the second step down. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of man. Philippians 2 verse 7. Jesus Christ made himself of no reputation. Made himself of no reputation means simply to empty. And the Greek word is kenu. The kenosis theory derives its name from the word keno. Christ emptied himself. The question is, of what did he empty himself? There are those who say that he emptied himself of his deity. All of the Gnostics in the early church actually propounded the first heresy that he emptied himself of his divine nature. That his deity entered into him at the time of his baptism and left him at the cross. Well, this theory is not substantiated anywhere in the word of God. He emptied himself of something, but it was not of his deity. He was 100% God 
when he was a baby reclining helplessly on the bosom of Mary. Even at that time, he could have spoken this universe into existence, the reason being he was God. There was never a moment when he was not God. And John the Apostle writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. John 1 verse 1 to verse 3 and verse 14 talk about this. Well then, of what did the Lord Jesus empty himself when he came to the earth? Well, I believed that he emptied himself of the prerogatives of deity. He lived on this earth with certain limitations, but they were self-limitations. There was never a moment when he wasn't God, no. And he was not less God because he was man. Yet he emptied himself of the prerogatives of deity. The few shepherds and the wise men and even the multitudes of angels were a sorry turnout for the Son of God when he came to this earth. Not only should that crowd have been there, but the whole universe should have been there. All of God's created intelligences should have been there. The hierarchy of Rome should have been there. There should not have been just a few wise men from the east. They should have come from the west, the north, and the south. And the temple in Jerusalem should have been empty that day. Why? They should all have gone down to Bethlehem, but they didn't. Why didn't he force them to come? Well, he didn't do it because he had laid aside his prerogatives of deity. He was willing to be born in a dirty, filthy place, not the pretty, clean stable of Christmas pigeons and Christmas cards. No, he was willing to grow to manhood in a miserable town called Nazareth. He was willing to be an unknown carpenter. In fact, he could have had the Shekinah glory with him all the time, but he didn't. He didn't have a halo around his head, sometimes as we see so many paintings of him. Judas Iscariot actually had to kiss him the night he was betrayed, so that the crowd could know which was the man they were to capture. He didn't stand out from other men by some kind of inner light or glory around him. He was a human being. But he was God manifest in the flesh. He laid aside the prerogatives of deity. Can we be sure of that? I think we can. After he had finished his ministry, he gathered his own around himself on his last night on the earth. And he prayed a very wonderful prayer to the heavenly father. One thing he said in that prayer was this. And now, O oh father... Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. John 17 verse 5. Now notice this carefully. He prayed to have his glory restored. He did not pray to have his deity restored because he had never given up his deity. But now that he is returning to heaven, he is asking that his glory, the glory light, 
a prerogative of deity, be restored. Obviously, he had laid aside that, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of man. That's what he had done. The third step downward in the humiliation of Christ is this, taking the form of a bond servant. Jesus came to this earth as a servant. He worked as a carpenter. I actually suppose if you lived in Nazareth in that day, you could have gone by the shop where Jesus worked and told him you needed some repair work done at your house. You would probably say, I have a door that is coming off its hinges. I wonder if you could fix it for me. I think he would have said, I will be right there. I will come and help. You see, he took upon himself the form of a servant. He could have been born in Caesar's palace. He was a king, but he never made that claim during those early years. In fact, he didn't make it until he rode into Jerusalem in the so-called trifle entry. He came into this world as a working man, a humble man, a little man. Not only did he humiliate himself to become a human being, but he came among the majority where most of us are today. He was one of the little people taking the form of a servant. The fourth step that the Lord took in his humiliation is this, and coming in the likeness of men. Now, it is like the proverbial story of an elephant trying to communicate with ants. The only way that the elephant would communicate with ants without intimidating them or even uh, destroying them is for the elephant to become an ant. The elephant would have to become an ant to communicate with ants, or else there is only death and frustration, because these two creatures are disproportionately different in size. The elephant won't even see the ant, while the ant never knows about the other planet that collides with Mother Earth. If an elephant were to become an ant, that would be humiliation, wouldn't it be? But my friend, that is even nothing compared to what my Lord did when he left heaven's glory and became a man, when he took upon himself our humanity, when he was made in the likeness of man. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Philippians 2 verse 8. This brings us to the fifth step in the Lord's humiliation. He humbled himself. And we are told, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. You and I have been humbled by someone doing or saying something which has been humiliating to us. And sometimes it's so painful. But notice that it is someone who does it to us. Christ humbled himself. This is a most difficult thing to do. Many of us have had humbling experiences, but it was because of someone, but not ourselves humbling ourselves. 
The Lord Jesus humbled himself. That is altogether different. We now come to the sixth step in his humiliation. And he became obedient to the point of death. Now, death is a very humiliating thing. It is not natural. Sometimes at funerals, I hear people say, doesn't he look natural when they are looking at the dead person? It is generally said by some well-meaning friends who want to comfort the loved ones. But that is not really true. Death is not natural, my friend. God didn't create man to die. Man dies today because of sin, because of his transgression. And death came by the transgression of one man, and that man was Adam. And death has passed down to all men. Death is not natural. God did not create man to die. And here we see Jesus Christ humbled himself even to the point of death, of taking an unnatural sight, an unnatural state. Now, when the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth, he was different from the rest of us. You and I came to live, but Jesus Christ was born to die. He came to this earth to die. He didn't have to die, but he became obedient to the point of death and gave himself up willingly. I have to die, but I don't want to. That is the truth. He didn't have to die, but he wanted to die. Why? In order that he might serve you and me if we will put our trust in him. That is what he said. John 10 verse 15, 17 and 18. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. The seventh and last step in the humiliation of our Lord Jesus Christ is even the death on the cross. You see, not only did Jesus become obedient to the point of death, but he also went to the death of the cross. You see, death by crucifixion was the kind of a disgraceful death. That is a, a shameful death. Now, he came to this planet from the highest glory to the lowest place of humiliation in shame. He died on the shameful cross. Why did he do it? Let's go back to the word others, which we saw earlier on. Look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. He left all the glory of heaven and came down to this earth. He became a man and he suffered death of a criminal for others, for you and for me. Thank God for that. This is the mind of Christ. And we are to have the mind of Christ. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please write to The Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 
1620 South Africa. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me give you that address again. It's The Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620 South Africa.